Man, it is, uh, it is such a joy of mine to uh, lead the youth around here, and uh, we have a ton of people who are like Brayden, who are just passionate uh, about Jesus, uh, who are growing in their experience of him, uh, and so it is awesome. From, from our student ministries to our college and young adults, we've just got a young generation because of what we do at RCC and our commitment to his word and his glory that are just on fire. So thank you guys for your investment. We're just, uh, we're just excited. Well, well, hey, we are in Unstoppable. Uh, if you guys don't know, our senior pastor is on a sabbatical. This is week three of four. Um, but, but I came across this video on the internet, and I, and it, I had to do a double take because I was like, is that Todd? I, I quickly realized it wasn't, but I think we found what his future skill is based off of the way that he preaches. you guys want to encourage Todd, I think we found his future gifting and, and skill set. But, but man, hey, we miss him. He sends his love. Uh, Todd, if you're watching, uh, hello, you couldn't do anything about that video, but too bad. Uh, but but we, just, we just absolutely love this place. He'll be back in a couple weeks, but Today we're, we're talking about Acts 17. Uh, Paul is, is in the midst of visiting cities. If you want to know what happened to chapter 16, didn't make the cut. Don't know why. But Paul was in prison. Uh, this is when the, the, the jailer was actually converted. Uh, so, so pretty cool chapter if you want to go back and read it. But today we're in chapter 17. Um, does this movie sound familiar to any of you guys? If you guys know me, I love baseball. Uh, it's hard to be an Angels fan right now. Uh, but... I love baseball. You guys know what the most famous line from this movie is? If you build it, they will come. This is my conviction of how the church functions today. Is if you build it, if you build the right church, they'll just come to you. If you have the right pastor up on stage, he'll be the one to go and preach the gospel. If you have the best band and you have the right lighting, if you build it, fog machines, they're going to come and they're going to love it. My only problem with that is that's just not the philosophy that Jesus had during his ministry. And so our big idea for today is we're actually going to flip and we're going to say if you become like him, you'll actually go to them. If you become like Christ, you're actually going to go seek out those who are dead spiritually. You're going to seek out the brokenhearted, and you're going to be the vessel of God's love and mercy in their life. This is the perspective that I hope we can have. Well, we're going to break this text up into two sections. We got 34 verses. We're going to walk through 1 through 21 as Paul visits Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and Athens, uh, and then we'll come back and read 22 through 34. So, so read with me 1 through 21. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. This is where Keith usually gives some sort of crazy name explanation, but I don't have any. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Uh, would you guys just pray with me? God, would we, uh, would we just never take for granted opening your word? Um, we believe that your word is living and active, uh, helpful to teach and correct and rebuke, but, but to train and equip us in righteousness and wisdom. So God, would that be our experience? Would you give us your spirit this morning uh, as we grow in our faith and our understanding and our expression of your love? Amen. All right, here's the foundation. This is where it has to start, is God meets us where we are at. I think we like to think about evangelism as us just going, 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 but really the foundation of both our salvation, but I think also both the foundation of our going, of our being sent, is the fact that God himself met us individually in our sin and in our brokenness. This is how Paul puts it in Ephesians and Titus. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This is the foundation of absolutely everything about us, is God met us 
God sought you out. God sought me out. In our death, in our brokenness, in our rebellion, in our rejection of him, each of us share in that state before we treasure Jesus. It's what levels the playing field is that the only healthy answer for us is Jesus himself, is the love of God on our behalf. But this, I think, serves as the foundation. Think about Paul's experience. Paul's on the road to Damascus and he gets blinded, thrown off the horse, and God himself literally intervenes and meets him where he is at. And I think Paul gets such a deep understanding of his own sin. What's his title for himself in relationship to sin? The chief of sinners. He gets it. He says, God met me in a place where no man had been more broken or messed up. Where no man had such a wrong view of who God was and had such little trust and faith in him like me. And I think this experience, this truth is what actually serves as the foundation of Paul as he goes to each of these cities. I think in his head, in his heart, he says, I want to meet Thessalonica where you are at. I want to meet Berea where you're at. I want to meet Athens where you're at. So we're going to look, because each of these crowds is just a little bit different. So, so we're going to briefly look, what does it look like for Paul to meet each of these cities where they're at? Thessalonica. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, so over three weeks, uh, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He, he meets these people who know the Old Testament. They aren't excited about Jesus yet, so he's not like, hey, let me tell you all these wonderful teachings of Jesus. He says, let me meet you where you're at. You have a pretty good understanding of the Old Testament. Let me show you in Genesis where Jesus was promised in 315. Let me show you how the Abraham story points to Jesus, the sacrifice of his son. Let me show you how Isaiah spells out that he must suffer and die on our behalf. And he proves and points to scripture and he examines scripture and says this is why you can believe, but he meets them where they are at. And same with Berea, a group of Jews who are familiar with this, these guys just have a little bit different uh, eagerness and expectation as he comes. And so I think he shares a lot of the same information that he just shared with them, but these guys are eager, so my guess is he goes even beyond just sharing what verses in the Old Testament would point to Jesus. My guess is he goes beyond and he says, here's what the apostles are teaching. Here's what Jesus passed along to us that now I give to you. And so he meets them in their eagerness. Thessalonica didn't have that same eagerness. And Athens is a completely different story. You've got a group of a ton of different people. He says he just meets at Athens and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Very different experience in Thessalonica and Berea. Cities full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And so he says, I can't take it anymore. I've got to share what I know about Jesus. 
He met me where I was at in my spiritual ignorance and death, and I want to do the same. And the response was different every time. But I think something that might be helpful for us is you've got to think about it in terms of when God was engaging with you, think about the time around your conversion, maybe a little bit before it. Think about how many times, if I ask, how many times did God reveal his truth to you, either through scripture or through someone else, and you did not respond right away with joy and obedience? The answer would be, it's too high. (laughs) It's too high to count. I don't know. But this is just what sin and flesh does, is it blinds us from the truth And I think sometimes when we go and we're sharing the joy that we find in Jesus, we have this expectation that everyone's just going to be like, why didn't you tell me earlier? You should have just told me that to start with. I would have accepted it right away. That's just not how it often goes. And you should best know that. I best know that because of the way in which I responded to God's revealing of himself to me in my life. I promise that there was not a ton about Jesus when I was in high school and college that I was truly, truly lit up about. I could hear it, but my heart was wavering. And so as we share, as Paul shares, you're just going to see a varied response to the truth. This is how Thessalonica responds. Some are persuaded. There's some of these Jews who say, whoa, this is awesome. I I never saw this in the Old Testament. This really must be the Christ. I'm going to follow you and I want to know more. But the majority of them get so frustrated, they form a mob, and they run these guys out of the city. And I love this quote. These men have turned the world upside down. (laughs) We're going to get back to this quote because I love it. But these men have come in here, and they're sharing a perspective about God that we don't believe. They're talking about some king other than Caesar, Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. So Thessalonica, for the most part, didn't really accept it wholeheartedly. And in Berea, these guys are different. These guys are like, oh, give me more. What's another text? What's another text? Where else do you see that Jesus is the Christ? Where else do you see that he's the king? And they're just eager, and they examine Scripture. They're eager, and they examine Scripture, and many believe. But apparently, this was more like Yorba Linda and Brea, Oh, right. Okay. No, I just, I thought it was good. But it was like your Belinda and Brea, a little too close. So they get the word. People from Thessalonica are like, no way, you're not sharing that there either. They go in there, chase them out too. The mob is active. They chase them out. And in Athens, we're going to look at more of this response in 22 through 34, but it's just the same. Some believed and some mocked. But I think the heart of this first piece that we really need to understand is we always have to start with God meeting us in our spiritual death. It will be the one thing that causes the most love and the most empathy and patience as we go and share with the people around us. Because you should understand, I took a long time to come around to your truth, Lord. And I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy and your patience and your faithfulness to me. That should be the heart of every single person in here, our salvation and our philosophy of how we go share. And then it's actually God who transforms us 
through the truth of his son. We talk a lot about if this is the truth, then there is absolutely zero pressure on us to finish the deal, to actually be the one. Because you have the object, the person who's actually transforming, and you have the means of transformation here. And neither of them are you. Neither of them are me. God transforms through the truth of his son. And so in verses 22 through 34, you're going to see Paul lay out seven things that are primary truths about God that ultimately, if we believe those and we experience those, that's what transforms people's life. So let's read 22 through the end. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, the Areopagus is is just this gathering place where people can go and share and listen to, to new ideas, new philosophies, new religions, theologies. This is just the talking place. So he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. These guys are just curious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. He just goes back to what transformed him. What transformed Paul? Because he actually had a view of God before his conversion. And so what transformed him was actually engaging with the truth of who Jesus is. And when he encountered God in relationship and in truth, his life was transformed. And so these are the seven things that Paul encourages these people to trust about God. And the first is their is one true God. You guys remember what provoked him when he was in the city? Idols. He looked around. He was probably sitting there, and he's like, I'm going to wait for for, uh, Timothy and Silas to get back here. And he's looking around, and he just sees object of worship, object of worship, object of worship. 
sacrifices being presented daily to these gods who are not the true God. And this is the heart. This is the foundation of who we are is there is absolutely one true God, Yahweh, and no one else. And the way in which we can trust that he's the one true God is he is the creator of everything. I love this. He gives life. Genesis. And then in the New Testament, and a lot in the Old, what you see is he does not just give physical life, he gives spiritual life. So this one true God is the creator of everything and gives life and breath to all. And he isn't served by or in need of human efforts like these other gods. All these other gods, all these other idols demand X, Y, Z, or else you're out, or else the God is unhappy. God's emotions, God's plans, God being in his nature, God, it does not depend on who we are or what we do. God is an unchanging God. It's what makes him unstoppable. God is an unchanging God. But I think when you just read these first three, I think you could say, rightfully so, God might feel distant. Oh, he's all-powerful, he's the creator, he's holy. I'm not. He must be way, way off from where I am in my life. And so I love this transition that he takes. He says, God doesn't dwell in one place like your gods. God doesn't dwell in this temple or this spiritual tent. God dwells with us and is near to us. It's what makes the foundation of God meeting us in our sin, the foundation is he's actually accessible. His transforming love and power is near to us. It's the anchor of what we call hope around here, is that his love is always accessible and offered. And the way in which he makes this accessible is the fact that Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death through the cross and the resurrection. There is no other truth that is more transforming than Jesus living, dying, and rising from the dead for our spiritual life. Paul experienced it firsthand, but this is the truth that makes God accessible and that love that meets us in our spiritual death, this is how. And now God has revealed the truth of his son and his holiness demands a response. I think this truth that it demands a response is something that lights Paul up to say, I'm going in here and I'm sharing because his holiness demands a response. I'm gonna go to Athens, I'm gonna go to Berea, I'm gonna go to Thessalonica, I'm gonna speak up at this Epicurean and Stoic philosopher center about the truth of God because his holiness demands a response. The one true God's holiness demands a response of faith and repentance. And there is going to be a day in which he will judge the earth justly. For those who continue to be found in sin, when he judges the world, there will be death, spiritual death. But for those who cling to Jesus' defeat of sin and death, there will be a righteousness that is bestowed 
on us from Jesus alone that we will be found righteous. And this is the truth that he lays out. He's saying none of who I am and none of what I've done could actually be the thing to transform you. But Jesus, the truth that's examined in scripture and the truth that he encountered in Jesus himself and conversations with the apostles, this truth is the thing that's going to transform everyone around the world. God's transforming people around here. I love RCC for this fact is we are constantly seeking to be transformed into the image of Jesus. It's the highest priority of RCC is we want, no matter who is here, however many people are here, we want people to be transformed into the image of Jesus. But it's not just happening here. Uh, we actually have Keith and Altin who, who are going to come up and share about how the, the truth of Jesus is being used to transform people around the world. So welcome up, Altine. I'll give it back to you. Yeah. Here you go, Altine. Good morning, everybody. This is like a commercial in the middle of, uh, in the middle of your show. <laughs> we, just, we just feel it's so important. You need to hear about this. You need to hear about God transforming lives in Albania. So this is Altine Zephi, and I have a picture. Uh, this is Deanna, his wife. Uh, Abby and Paolo, raise your hands, you guys. They're in the back right back there. We first got introduced to Altine in 2003. Three. Um, we were doing English camps with Campus Crusade at the University of Pristina, and you were, you were leading or part of leading those camps? Yes. Now, how I know, uh, I know you didn't start there. Were you, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you always know these truths that Johnny was just sharing about? Not really. Jesus, as Johnny said, Jesus is really transforming lives. And, and brothers and sisters, if you, if you don't come to tears, people still today come to tears when they hear about the truth of the love of God through Jesus Christ. As David says in Psalm 27, 4, he says that uh, there's one thing that I desire and, then, and one thing that I ask of the Lord. So David's desire was about one only thing. And he, was, he said to uh, behold him in his temple and to uh, live uh, all days of my life. So this love and this desire is actually what I missed, what I didn't have. And uh, I grew up in a communist uh, uh, country. When I was just eight years old, I started asking questions about God. But in a communist country, religion is, is assigned to you, which is no religion, atheism. And everything else is controlled by the government. And so uh, I, when I was eight years old, I asked my grandma about God. And I asked her, what, what is God? I, I had heard the name of God somewhere. I don't, I don't remember where. And she says, shh. Don't let ever anybody ask, hear ask you, you ask that question. Never ask that question again. Because my father, my parents would risk going to jail because of that. And so how did I hear about Jesus? It's through people who came to our, to our country. 1991, Albania opened up to Western missionaries. And missionaries came and gave me a Bible. And being a shepherd boy, I was just a shepherd boy with five sheep and two cows. <laughs> Not a farm like you have industrial farm. <laughs> and I took my Bible in the mountains to pass time every day 
And as sheep got lost, I would go after them to find them. And I really carried sheep in my shoulders as a kid and sent them home, joyful that I found the lost sheep, to tell my father that I really found the sheep. Uh, I really did that. And, uh, but one thing that, as Johnny mentioned, God was seeking me. God was leveling the playing field. He found me and he revealed me his word. Where I understood that I was a sinner and I was an idolater, I was worshiping images created by hands, human hands, what Paul saw in Athens. And we live 10 hours drive from Athens, five hours drive from Thessaloniki. So it's an area where Apostle Paul came himself. But the, the light of the gospel had been dimmed. It was darkness for many, many centuries until the word of God came back and, and God found me and he revealed to me the, the treasure of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of, 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 my, of my life. So good. So good. Amen. <laughs> so now we first meet you in 2003. Now 20 years later, uh, you're, you're no longer doing English camps. You're the senior pastor of a church in Tirana, the capital city in Albania. Tell us a little bit about what's happening in Albania and how this news about Jesus is now going out to others. Well, as I said, uh, when I became a believer, there was no church in my hometown. And so for four years as a young believer, reading the Bible by myself, growing in the Lord by myself, trying to read Christian books, I really missed the church. I grew a deep desire. And, and, and friends, I know you have lots of churches here. Please don't underestimate how wonderful it is to be to worship the Lord with the, the body of Christ. Because four years, I, there was no church. And then I, I just loved the church. 18 years old, I went to my first church that I became a member when I went, uh, went to college and became a student. I became like an elder, uh, practically an elder immediately, <laughs> like in three months. <laughs> At 18 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just had a passion as a shepherd to look for the lost sheep. And uh, that passion sent me to Kosovo to, to share the gospel in Kosovo with, uh, with the Muslims there. And then... And then I came back to my country, and we decided in 2008 to start a church, uh, and then a church planting movement. We called it Together for the Gospel in Albania, where we're trying to rally believers to go and plant churches and share the good news of Jesus Christ all across Albania and beyond Albania, because it's the only news that will, it's the only thing that will help people live forever, right, in their relationship with God. So uh, we planted our church, Evangelical Church of Tirana, in 2008. It's a uh, I have a short video, if, uh, if it plays in the background, uh, of our fellowship uh, of about 100 people. So, and we have planted four churches in the last 15 years. We celebrate 15 years this October. Uh, and so we, we are, we're so thankful that God has used us to spread the, the good news of Jesus Christ in Albania. Very cool. So people are hearing these, what, what Johnny was just talking about. They're hearing this truth about who Jesus is. Uh, some of them, like you, are hearing it for the first time as teenagers, as college students. Yeah, and, uh, you know, God, if God doesn't work, we are, if God doesn't build the city, you know, in vain, the laborers work, right? Uh, one of the uh, girls, she's not in this picture, she, this is baptism last summer, uh, a year ago, and our son was baptized too. Uh, God is, God is working in sharing the gospel and reaching out to people. So we have this girl in our church who 
uh, comes from, from a Muslim background uh, family. She started coming to our church in February. And this end of April, she, I think uh, you may have played this uh, testimony, but end of April, she had a dream that, uh, and she saw that she was in this weird town. She didn't know what town, where it was. She was walking down that town and she saw a banquet of people sitting around the table and uh, they invited her to sit there. And so she went and sat her there, but she thought, uh, looked at the chair as if the chair was not going to hold her and afraid that he's gonna, she's going to drop. And somebody from the, from the bank had told her, don't fret, don't worry. The chair you're sitting on will not drop you. And so she woke up from a dream early in the morning in tears, crying and weeping because she understood that the town she had been, she had been it, it was heaven. The people in the banquet was, were angels. And she had been affirmed that the church she is going to and the message she is hearing will not drop her and will, it's firm. And so she, she accepted Christ in tears. She shared with the youth group. She's, a, she's just a, a young adult. She shared it with the youth group and they, they were in tears. And then they shared it with me. And so it's just an amazing uh, discovering the joy of Jesus. It's, it's just wonderful when you see that lost sheep come back to the fold of Jesus Christ. So that's our, my joy and that's Amen. what God is doing. Amen. Amen. So, yes, absolutely. We're going to have a lunch after second service. If you're interested in hearing more, we have lots more stories of what they're going, uh, what's going on in, in Tirana. But I want to pray for Altine and Diana, for their family and for the church there in Tirana that continually people would be hearing this news about Jesus. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful that you, you moved in Altine's life, that you moved in his family's life, Lord, and that you are moving in his church and you are moving in Albania. Lord, would you continue uh, to open eyes and open hearts to the gospel just like this young woman that he shared about. Lord, would you continue to give dreams and visions? Would you continue calling people to yourself for your glory, Lord, and for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Altine, thank you so much. Thank you. Now it's on. <laughs> there we go. Oh, thank you guys so much for sharing. Uh, th this is just my conviction is that God is absolutely using every single one of us to proclaim the truth and to be healthy models and expressions of God's love. This last idea, oh, 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 there's going to be a lot of pictures. There we go. Uh, this last idea that God sends us to seek the lost. Uh, my, my fear is we just hear that and we say, Braden, good job, man. Way to go to check. God sent you. Or Altine, wow, God sent you from Albania to Kosovo and you're doing amazing things. Sending is not about the destination in terms of how far or close. The sending is in the purpose that you and I have. And so here's what he says uh, in, in Romans about this. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is the goal. But then how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? I love this phrase. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Preach does not mean Todd Chapman. Preach does not mean from a stage. Preach is more of a bringing, bring good news. So here's my encouragement. You are who you are and you are where you are on account of one thing, God's sovereignty and his wisdom. It would not be better for me to be in your family. It would not be better for your kid to be in another family. It would not be better for you to be in a different situation. God, in his sovereignty, has placed you specifically in your situations to be this expression of God's truth and his love. There is no one who could do that. God is pretty dang smart. If he wanted somebody else, he would have put him there. And so he wants you to go back and experience Be refreshed by the love with which he met you in your spiritual death. And out of that love, to be transformed by the truth of his son. And out of that experience, go and send. Look at all these people that we're in contact with all the time. Family, work, neighbors, friendships, kids. You specifically have a group, a network that God has put you in their life for. Never separated from first experiencing and understanding the truth for yourself. But this is for you. This is the gift. This is the joy that God has given you is to be this expression. Here's a perspective that I like to think of, right? View the world as a spiritual field of dreams. Opportunities everywhere. This is how Jesus said it in John. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the field, the world, it's white for harvest. It's ready. There are people, there are sheep, as he continues in John, who are hungry to know, who are hungry to come to me on account of you going. Ultimately to be transformed by me and me alone, but I am going to send you. And so I love the way we started this year, this Share the Joy initiative. Right, this question of who is your one? Who's the one person that you are trying to invest in spiritually, that you're trying to help see and understand the truth of Jesus? Who's on your pray watch list? I have this guy named Tyler who works at In-N-Out, and if you know me, I eat at In-N-Out a lot. But I, I see Tyler all the time, and so Tyler's on my pray watch list. I play pickleball sometimes on Tuesday nights. There's a group of young adult dudes I really enjoy hanging with some of these guys. So who is on your pray watch list that you're thinking about that you're hoping would experience Jesus? Here's just a a little bit of a, a philosophy, a little math philosophy for you. Okay, the power of what it looks like to have a multiplication minded church versus this one right here is essentially if you build it, they will come. So if a pastor of a 300 person church probably right around where we're at, if they invest in the faith of 50 people, this this pastor is a rock star. He's a harvest crusade kind of guy. But he invests every year in 50 people. One dude, 50 people, that's a lot. In five years, it's 250 people. That's pretty good. One dude, 250 people. 
Look at this. If each individual of a 300-person church invests in one person, helps one person understand and enjoy Christ, in five years, that's 1,500 people. In five years, if, let's just say you invest in that one person and they come to treasure Jesus and they repeat the process with you the next year, guess how many people in five years that would be? Almost 10,000 people. One person. <laughs> this isn't you taking 30 people into your house and being like, whew, I got my Monday list, I got my Tuesday list, I got my Wednesday list. This is one individual who you are helping, you are praying for, you're helping ask questions, you're, you're helping sit in, in sorrow and difficult times, rejoicing with them. One person helping them see and be transformed by the truth of Jesus. That's the power of a multiplication-minded church where each one of us say, no, this is my role. This is my blessing that God has given me to go and be Christ to those around me. And here's the phrase that I think people would be using around here. RCC has turned the world upside down. RCC has this philosophy of helping people experience Jesus and they're so intentional with the people around them. They're turning Berea, your Belinda, they're turning it upside down. And that would be my hope for how people would describe us, you as an individual, but, but us as a corporate church, that we are turning the world upside down because your world has been turned upside down by Jesus. That's where it stems from. That's where we continue to be rooted in and anchored in. And out of that joy and experience, we overflow to the people around us. So I've got three simple takeaways from these ideas. Please remember, remember, remember. It's one of the most common commands in Scripture is to remember God's incredible love for you while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's going to be the core of what a healthy relationship with Jesus looks like, and it's going to be the core of what a healthy philosophy of going and sharing looks like. So please go back and remember. The second one is seek to be transformed even more by the truth of Jesus. This is what I love about God's word. You can read a book that you have read 45 times and go back and you say, whoa, I think I just got it a little bit more, and I think I was just transformed a little bit more from darkness to light a little bit more from death to life. This is the hope that we would engage with the truth of his son to the point where it changes our lives. And lastly, please just seek out these opportunities for his love and wisdom to overflow to the people around you. Pray with me. God, I'm just, I'm so thankful. I have been overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness to me, though I know I do not deserve it one bit. God, your, your love ha has amazed me since the day that I've really seen it. So God, would you please continue to allow us to remember who you are and your incredible love and your grace and your mercy in our life. Help us understand what we really have been transformed from and remind us of the joy of being connected to you and you alone. And out of that overflow, God, would we, as we just try to multiply 
faith as we try and multiply the kingdom, not multiply RCC ultimately. We want to multiply people who experience and treasure you. So would we seek the opportunities and would you open those doors for us to be the lights in this world?